0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 161 of DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Halver, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're going to be recapping our results from week one on DraftKings, reflecting on some of the key decision points from the slate, and of course, closing out the show by taking a look at some of the most interesting stats and storylines from the week. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Saturdays. We post DFS TikToks every single day of the NFL season, and finally, our Discord channel is open and available to join. The link to do so is in the description to the podcast joey how you doing buddy eventful week one
1: yeah it was a fun week one uh it was it was a very good day for me not so much for you we'll get into that here in shortly but yeah i won every single redraft league that i'm in I actually blew everybody out one on DraftKings, one on yahoo one on owners box so it was actually a really good day for me how about you ben
0: yeah, I mean, I'm looking at selling all my belongings to, uh, to, you know, pay for rent this month. Okay. Um, you know, okay. another losing week or two, I'll definitely be living on the streets. Pretty tough scene, but. You know, let's get into our results here and we can start off with cash games where the cash line and double ups was hovering around 123, 124. I think that's very uncharacteristic of a week one. Uh, Obviously, you know, a low cash line means that a lot of the chalk busted. But, you know, usually in week one, because the salaries are so soft and there are so many good values, we expect to see a higher cash line than usual, not a lower one.
1: Yeah, it was definitely surprising to see a low cash line. For this week but you said it the chalk for the most part busted with Marquez Callaway, Elijah Moore and some other guys uh, really not performing well and it was a low scoring slate all around defenses played pretty well a lot of the games went under so it was just a low scoring slate and 124 got it done and you know specifically for my lineup I finished with 160.56 but hmm. you know I, I got to that lineup off of a mistake that I made you know trying to late swap head-to-heads because that's what you should be doing if you're, if you're behind so I went through all of my head-to-heads and was looking to see where I where I can make a pivot to and I ended up global swapping <laughs> to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle off of Alvin Kamara and Marquez Callaway for all of my head-to-heads for all of my double ups and it ended up being the optimal pivot <laughs> yeah um obviously that's that's just pure you know luckiness that that they went off how they did but even before the slate locked i was considering fading you know Dalvin cook for a high price wide receiver i ended up on the optimal build in, in which a lot of people ran which still would have cashed, so i still would have won on the week but yeah i ended up swapping to tyreek and Jalen waddle and ended up winning 100 percent of my head-to-heads and double ups for a profit of $379.50 on the main slate for week one and then made a little bit more than that on Yahoo and owner's box and and prize picks for week one so it was a good week
0: yeah I mean you're just too sharp you know the the pivot off of Alvin Kamara to Tyreek Hill you know I just god I I wonder what it's like (laughs) to run so pure
1: hey hey I still only won, you know, under $400 on DraftKings, so that's the thing. It doesn't really help you that much. Right. Cuz it wasn't in a tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, I most of my tournament teams did cash and I had some, you know, top 100 finishes, but top 100 doesn't make you any money. I mean, 379.50, I'll I'll take it, but it's not like I won thousands of dollars off of that. Sp- off of
0: that swap i won like
1: 25 one dollar head to heads because of it <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah um you know i also had to make a swap as well i was thoroughly behind after the early games and i had to get off of camara just because we knew he was going to be chalk the only two late players i had were camara and marquez calloway in cash so i made a pivot from uh, those two players to nick chubb and Miko hardman Had I made the switch to Jerry Judy, even though he got hurt, I think that would have gotten it done. Mecole did absolutely nothing. I mean, the Nick Chubb pivot worked out, you know, ended up in the nut game script for the Browns. They were ahead most of the game. Chubb had two touchdowns, uh, was very close to getting the bonus. Had he gotten there, it might have made a huge difference for me. But all in all, I just made a really poor decision at the beginning of the slate that led to me only winning 35% of my head-to-heads, got completely swept in double-ups. My final lineup only put up 118 points, about six or seven shy of cashing in most lines. And the decision point that you know I really screwed up on I'll say is getting off of Jalen Hurts late now I mean you talked about being on the correct build in cash and it turns out the correct build in cash this week was the high price running backs playing all three of them over the high price wide receivers unless you ended up on Tyreek Hill which most people didn't because they were really you know sort of focused on that Calvin Ridley Stefan Diggs tier and for me I had $700 left in my lineup it wasn't enough to get up to Dalvin Cook from Calvin Ridley so I went down 300 to Steph Diggs which you know ended up. Up not being a terrible choice you know digs out targeted ridley by quite a bit had more catches and more production had a thousand left after saving that 300 and you know i just went up to josh allen from jalen hurts and the bills completely busted and it was you know written after that hurts was definitely the right play he looked phenomenal completed 27 out of 35 attempts for 264 yards and three touchdowns through the air also added 62 rushing yards on the ground with seven attempts and getting off of jalen hurts was just a Own cold mistake.
1: Yeah, I I think it was just because Jalen Hurts's floor is obviously so high with his rushing ability. Went over 60 yards again. That's like him going over 60 yards in every start so far to his NFL career. So the floor is so high with Hurts, and then you combine that with the ceiling because of the rushing floor. Because of the great matchup against Atlanta, I think he was just the clear-cut number one best quarterback play on the board. And Josh Allen obviously is a great play week in and week out, right? The ceiling is is extremely high, but you're paying a thousand more for Josh Allen than Jalen Hurts um, when that thousand could have been used to to get up to Dalvin Cook and, instead of playing a wide receiver four in the flex. And week one was just. A unique slate in which we had those three top running backs with elite roles in their offense like three of the only workhorses in the NFL that are going to get a majority of of the work on the ground and get a bunch of targets and we saw that with CMC like he like he never even got hurt he's back in mid-season form Kamara still had a relatively good game even with being game scripted out and Delvin Cook got there as well so I think going those three running backs was the optimal route just the the build I think is more important in terms of decision points because if you went with a wide receiver four over a running back 3 your lineup probably didn't do too well unless you play Tyreek Hill who I, who I will say does have a higher ceiling than every wide receiver in the NFL so if you know if you're playing for ceiling you're, you're gonna play Tyreek over any of those guys and, and the floor I think is extremely high because I mean you mentioned that me did nothing I mean that it's pretty obvious now and we talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and the rest. Yeah. You know?
0: I mean, Mahomes was just locked onto Tyreek Hill. I mean, things could potentially have played out differently if the Chiefs weren't in a negative game script the entire time. I mean, I don't think Tyreek Hill is going to be seeing 15-plus targets on the regular, but, I mean, God, just Tyreek Hill... Can literally go for two hundred yards in any given week, regardless of matchup. So yeah, he's got to be in consideration every single week. And and like you said, yeah, Dalvin Cook was definitely the right play, especially because people were more focused on Ridley and Diggs than they were on Hopkins and Hill, who would have gone off. Devonte Adams also didn't do great as well, which we'll get into in a minute here. Just real quick, going back to Josh Allen, I do think that the play wasn't terrible. Just looking at it, like the stats, I mean, he had sixteen more pass attempts than Jalen Hurts. He had more rush attempts than Jalen Hurts. He just you know, ran pretty terribly. I think that was an unexpected outcome for the Bills.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't expect them to lose against the Steelers, but their pass rush is one of the best in the NFL led by TJ Watt. And yeah. they just forced Josh into a lot of hurried throws. And you know, they, they rattled the Bills from the jump and got the dub. So yeah, I mean, that's the NFL though.
0: That is the NFL. Let's get into some of the interesting stats and storylines from week one, and there are quite a bit. Even before the slate started, there was a bit of a shocking development coming from the 49ers that Trey Sermon was a healthy scratch, and that's not the only thing that Kyle Shanahan shocked us with. Brandon Ayuk, who was a first-round pick last year, arguably the best wide receiver on the team coming off of an electric rookie season, was playing behind certified scrub Trent Sherfield and has apparently been downgraded to uh, the second team on the offense uh, what's your reaction to this development with brandon iu
1: i mean that it's just truly unfortunate because I have a lot of Brandon Ayuk <laughs> in best ball and redraft. I have him on like every single redraft team. So yeah, that's a tough scene. But he did play 26 snaps in this game against the Lions and Sherfield only played 27 snaps. So he only had one more snap and I do think it's more so a factor of him coming off his hamstring injury that he suffered during training camp. You know, they kind of want to ease him in and Sherfield played well in the preseason and he was performing well at Niners training camp. So I could see why they wanted to give him a little bit more run i'm not too concerned because i believe in Ayuk's talent and i believe that shanahan will get him back to where we need him to be for him to be fantasy relevant but i mean it's just unfortunate that he put up a donut in in week one and you know there was no information regarding why or if he was behind Sherfield. you know in the, in the previous couple of days. So shit happens, especially with Shanahan, who is very unpredictable, I think, as a head coach.
0: Absolutely. I mean, if we had known that Brandon Ayuk was going to be in this weird space, I think we probably would have been a bit more on Debo Samuel, who just absolutely obliterated the Lions yesterday just sort of from like a zoomed out perspective like a general team perspective what are some of the most unexpected things that happened in week one in your opinion I think there are a lot to choose from yeah
1: I mean what shocked me the most I think was the Titans just being so trash yeah they put up 13 points in this spot against a Cardinals defense that had like eight sacks I mean I don't know but Chandler Jones had five sacks himself Ryan Tannehill had a couple of turnovers and they just looked rusty and just complete shit. I don't know what happened with them. Julio didn't do too well. He had a couple of drops. Titans offense just could not get going. So that was really surprising to me that the Cardinals just came out and outplayed them like that. I thought it was going to be a high scoring game. The over was one of my bets and that ended up falling short off of a few points. So tough scene. That was very uh, concerning, I think.
0: It was concerning, especially when you looked at my A.J. Brown exposure on DraftKings. Very, oh my God. very concerning. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to tell me about A.J. Sheesh. Yeah. The thing that absolutely floored me in Week 1 was the Texans dropping a bomb on the Jacksonville Jaguars coming out and putting up 37 points. I mean, if you asked me prior to kickoff yesterday, if I thought 37 points was in the Texans range of outcomes for any game this season, I would have said, hell no. I definitely didn't think the Texans were going to win this game. I didn't think the Texans were going to win a game all season. I thought they were on the hot path to 0-17, and they just absolutely you know, obliterated the Jags and Trevor Lawrence in his first game. Tyrod out there looking legit who needs the sean watson am i right
1: <laughs> yeah you're probably right um they'll probably go one in 16 though so <laughs> that's cool well they got
0: the jags again so
1: true i mean urban meyer might be just a, a literal idiot played carlos hyde on more snaps than james robinson mm-hmm. maybe because carlos hyde went to ohio state yep. and they got a little connection but i mean why are, why are you playing carlos hyde in 2021 like, what are we doing here? But yeah, the Jags looked horrible. But I guess the the good thing is uh, DJ Chark had 12 targets and Visca had nine and Marvin Jones had nine. So if we could see the Jags losing in a lot of these games, I think it's wheels up for the Jags wide receivers, especially if they're going to allow Trevor Lawrence to throw the ball 45, 50 times per game uh, i i think he ended with 51 pass attempts in this game could be wheels up for the wide receivers
0: yeah i mean the jags are just going to be an absolute funnel this year if, if trevor lawrence is going to be throwing that much and their defense is giving up 37 plus points to tyrod taylor led offenses i think that we have to be basically just considering you know game stacks with the jags every single week Moving on to another team that I was a little bit surprised by. The Bengals looked really good, and they were surprisingly run heavy. Joe Mixon had 29 attempts and caught four out of four targets, which was pretty surprising. I mean, we both thought he was bad chalk. Turns out that was incorrect. He snapped. But the big story, I think, from the Bengals was that all of the Jamar Chase concern that we've been hearing endlessly over the past couple of weeks was just clearly overblown. He looked fantastic in his NFL debut and actually ended up leading the team in targets, had seven compared to T who had five and Tyler Boyd, who had four.
1: Jamar Chase led the team with a 25% target share with seven targets, you know, went for 101 yards, had that long touchdown where he burned the cornerback and, you know, he looked good and he looked as if he was the alpha wide receiver in the Bengals offense. And then Joe Mixon, I mean, I guess guess we were just very wrong about Mixon. Mm -hmm. Good thing he wasn't you know, stone chalk on DraftKings because he would have definitely burned us. But that's the that's the story with Mixon is when he's not chalk, he's going to pop off. And when he is chalk, he's going to bust. And this was a week where he wasn't chalk and he popped off. And, you know, um, got got to live with putting out a YouTube video telling everybody to fade Joe Mixon.
0: Oh, God. Yeah, I haven't even checked. You know, one of our favorite pastimes is people going back on old YouTube videos and just obliterating us for our wrong takes. Uh, you know, yep. after the fact. So, yeah, definitely got to take a look at that after the podcast. <laughs> yep. Jerry Judy was off to a hot start before unfortunately suffering a high ankle sprain. The early diagnosis is that it's going to cost him roughly four to six weeks. And despite that, despite him only making it through 47% of snaps on offense before going down, Cortland Sutton was a complete non-factor for the Broncos. He played on 80% of snaps, but only had three targets, which was less than Noah Fant, KJ Hamler, and Tim Patrick. Are you concerned about Cortland Sutton's role in this offense going forward?
1: Uh, I'm not too concerned, especially with Jerry Judy suffering a high ankle sprain, which is kind of notorious for derailing players for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, Recently, we've seen Kamara, Saquon, you know, CMC, Michael Thomas deal with high ankle sprain injuries I I think Cortland Sutton's role should grow as the weeks go on and as he gets back to playing football you know recovering from a torn ACL and he's the clear-cut number one option I think in the offense now with Judy going out but I think with Judy's injury it definitely improves the stock of some of the ancillary guys as well like KJ Hamler, Tim Patrick, Noah Fant's role obviously should grow, and then Albert O, who played quite a bit as well, should see more opportunity, I think.
0: Yeah, without getting too far ahead, I think Noah Fant is going to be an extremely popular option on DraftKings next week, but we'll talk Mm -hmm. about that on the Thursday show. My boy, Kenny Galladay. You know, former Lion, current Giant, was surprisingly not too involved in the Giants, despite them getting blown out, despite them playing in comeback mode. He was out-targeted by Sterling Shepherd, who led the team with 9, and Godius, a.k.a. Darius Slayton, who had 7. That's pretty interesting to me, but interestingly and alarmingly Saquon Barkley was the main story here for the Giants who only played on 47% of snaps personally I don't want to overreact to this I think that you know he is going to be eased back in but you know Saquon Barkley somebody that you know people were spending a first round pick on in best ball and redraft coming in and playing on less than half the offensive snaps is certainly not ideal
1: yeah I mean Kenny Galladay and the Giants in general are just I think going to be not good this year. Starling Shepard had a, had a pretty good game, seven for one thirteen and one. But I, but I think, man, I don't know what these Giants, man. I really don't have much thoughts. I just think they're terrible. I think Joe Judge is a donkey. I think Jason Garrett shouldn't be in the NFL. I think Daniel Jones is a backup quarterback in the NFL. He went twenty two of thirty seven for two sixty seven and one. Had a fumble. Fumbles are still an issue with Daniel Jones. Had a quarterback rating of forty nine. Just. Not good out of Daniel Jones, and I I I don't know. I've seen people that are Giants fans say that Kenny Galladay just isn't a good fit for Daniel Jones. I don't know how true that is, but it's definitely something to think about. And he was third on the team in targets.
0: Definitely a player that you're gonna like for best ball more, where you don't have to pick out the weeks where he snaps. And you know, I think there will be a couple of those along the way. But I mean, what is not being a good match with daniel jones even mean like he's a stone alpha wide receiver in the nfl daniel jones is just hot garbage led the nfl in fumbles in 2019 and 2020 and according to cbs sports uh, is only the second player ever to lose 30 career fumbles through 28 games so, not looking great for Daniel Jones uh on the That's tour. your boy though. Yeah, no, he is my boy, but I think he's probably going to get benched pretty soon.
1: Who are they going to bench him for though? That's the thing. They have nobody behind him.
0: Cam Newton? Okay. Yeah.
1: They they would have to they would have to sign him for sure, but I think they roll with him this season and if he's not good again, they'll, they'll move on after this year is, is my guess. But Yeah. I I I would be surprised if they full on bench, you know, a, a player they drafted in the top 6.
0: Let's move on to some running back usage notes. David Montgomery, we saw his role in the passing game get scaled back I think somewhat predictably he dominated attempts on the ground out Damian Williams 16 to 6 but Williams out targeted Demont 5 to 1 sort of absorbed the role that we were sort of projecting Tariq Cohen to have coming into the season and David Montgomery if he's not getting the dominant workload including receiving that he saw last year I think it's going to be hard for him to really pay off ADP and be a reliable option despite looking relatively good against the tough Rams defense
1: yeah I mean David Montgomery did- did look good. He went off for a hundred and eight yards and a touchdown average, six point eight yards per carry. But I think that's just more so a function of the Rams defense just basically begging them to run the ball and just locking up Andy Dalton and the wide receivers yesterday. So the Demont Truthers get their dub in week one. But I think as the season goes on, and especially if Andy Dalton continues to make starts, David Montgomery will be, you know like a high floor low ceiling option especially with no work in the receiving game with Damian Willems there and Tariq Cohen eventually going to come back I still think fading David Montgomery in best ball and in redraft was fine especially in the range that he was going in around a bunch of high upside wide receivers and you know he he's gonna have to get there on rushing attempts and he won't do that every single week so
0: mm-hmm yeah i mean god the bears are just like teasing us with those justin field snaps huh uh, bro like why are you putting him in for one snap a quarter I, I was like half paying attention in the first quarter of that game i looked and i saw justin fields i thought it had already happened i thought they just benched andy dalton and like next play dalton comes back in i'm like oh what? Well, like what are we doing here 49ers did the same thing with trey lance who who had a touchdown and still let jimmy g ride the whole game like guess that's the new wave in the nfl give your rookie a couple snaps here and there and play the bums over them for the rest of the game yep that is definitely the wave hmm, interesting Najee harris in pittsburgh was the only steelers running back to touch the ball which is highly encouraging i mean he was wildly inefficient with 16 attempts for 45 yards and only one catch for four yards but we do love to see the usage he was in on 58 of 58 snaps for the Steelers
1: yeah I mean it's unheard of of a running back in this day and age getting 100% of the snaps in which Najee did and I think this was the first time it's happened since CMC did it in 2019 so encouraging usage from Najee Harris and I mean after the Steelers drafted him in the first round I think that was very predictable that they were going to use him in a workhorse role he had 17 touches but the efficiency was always the concern with Najee Harris the Steelers have the worst or the second worst offensive line in the NFL that's not going to change they play in a tough division with a lot of good pass rushes in the Ravens and the Browns and that, that was always the question was the was the efficiency and it wasn't there today it'll be there some weeks but I think for the most part it won't be there
0: yeah we're gonna need Najee's role in the pass game to increase I mean he ran a decent amount of routes like you said only saw the the one target and the one catch but if his if his role in the pass game improves as the season develops I think that'll be uh big for him just to raise the floor because we know with with a touch projection he has a ceiling we just need the floor a little bit higher to feel confident playing him in DFS yeah
1: I, I think the targets will definitely come and I think looking ahead to next week just real quick he's 6,300 against the Raiders at home and I think he's going to be chalk I'd be willing to uh to play Najee next week
0: that definitely seems possible especially if the Raiders get trounced tonight by the run game which I'm expecting them to Melvin Gordon Joey, I'm, I'm going to just keep it a buck. He jammed it down your throat. You know, you were going absolutely in on this man on the Saturday night live stream, you know, inviting people to play you for $109 head to heads with Melvin Gordon in their lineup. <laughs> uh, you know, luckily for you, nobody took you up on it, hey, um, hey, even hey, though they said they, they still would have
1: lost, though. They still would have lost, though. That's the thing true they they could have they could have played Melvin but i i know that people in the youtube comments aren't putting out optimal lineup mm. so i'm just trying to get as much action as i possibly can every single week from these bums on the stream
0: i mean you know not the people from our discord
1: no not the people no the random people who come in and talk shit Mm-hmm. on the live streams. I'm not talking shit about any of our, you know, loyal viewers or, or discord members. Those are great guys. I'm talking about the random dude to get the stream recommended to them. They come in, they start talking shit, blowing up the comments. They, they got to catch the
0: smoke. Well, yeah, I mean, you definitely invited them. You put your account up on the screen for them to uh, take it. They did not. But Melvin Gordon, was really inefficient despite the 75 yard touchdown run at the end of the game he had 11 carries but I think that kind of overshadowed the fact that Javante Williams actually finished with more attempts as I think we expected they basically split snaps directly down the middle but it was encouraging to see Javante get good utilization I think that will continue to favor him as the year develops
1: yeah I mean there there's some reports saying that like Melvin Gordon was pissed about how everybody was like regarding his name throughout training camp and just assuming that Javante Williams was going to be the guy there. And so he came out and had to put the hammer on the Giants mm-hmm. uh, for that 70 or 75-yard touchdown run. But as the season goes on, I think Javante will end up snatching this role away from Melvin Gordon. Encouraging to see he had more touches, but kind of discouraging to see that they played on almost equal snaps. And, yeah, and then Melvin Gordon just has a long touchdown run and tough scene.
0: It was. But I mean, God, if you can trade for Javante Williams in your season long leagues now, I would absolutely do that, especially if you have a decent enough couple of running backs to get through. I think that he could become a league winner down the stretch, especially if Teddy Bridgewater continues to play well. Clyde Edwards Hilaire did not have amazing stats. But again, the usage was highly encouraging. He did handle 14 out of 15 touches in the backfield. Only played on 72% of snaps, but the snaps that Darrell Williams got in there and played were strictly to block. I think overall it was encouraging to see CEH dominate touches out of the backfield for the Chiefs offense.
1: Yeah, I mean... If you want to call getting like nine points encouraging, I guess that's where we're at now. You know, he had three targets, 14 carries for a player you had to draft in the second round. I think we want to see a little bit more out of him, especially mm-hmm. in the passing game, especially in a game where the Chiefs were down by two scores. But this goes back to what I said earlier. This is Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey's offense. And it's everybody else. And I include CEH in that. And then I also believe that C.H. is just a guy, to be honest. You know, he, he's going to get work. He's going to have some big games, but he's not going to be DeAndre Swift or JT or, or any of those guys that he got drafted with because all of those guys are better. JK Dobbins, if he was healthy, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is just a guy. And I, I think the Chiefs know that at this point. So I, I could see this stat line in, in a lot of his games moving forward. I, I guess it's just very discouraging to see him only have three targets in a game, like I said, where the Chiefs were down by two scores.
0: Well, I mean Patrick Mahomes was just locked onto Tyreek Hill. You know, I, I think that what we're talking about is the usage being encouraging, not the production. I mean, you you can say that yeah, he had, you know, ten points or whatever, but I mean it, I mean it's three this-
1: targets is not encouraging. And that's where you know you you're drafting him in the first round last year in the second round this year. That's why you're drafting him at that spot is because you're expecting him to be heavily involved in the passing game. And if he only gets three to five targets per game, that's not going to cut it in my opinion.
0: So why are we encouraged by Najee Harris, who had like half of the production for the same reasons and because had the same he draft? off hundred
1: percent of the snaps,
0: but didn't get any better usage. Was in a better game script to get usage.
1: I I don't I don't know I. Just ad- just, ad- just
0: admit that you're a stone cold Clyde Edwards Hilaire hater, and you were waiting for this, and you love this.
1: No, I definitely love it. He's yeah. not good. He's just a guy. for For Ceh, you want him to be more involved in the pass game, and he's not. Maybe maybe I'm overreacting off one game, but it's just how how do you only have three targets in a, in a game where you're losing?
0: Because Tyreek Hill had fifteen. I think that's how.
1: Is that not going to be the case, though, if they're losing? Like I said, it's Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey's offense.
0: I, I think that the amount of times that they're in negative game scripts to that extent is going to be very limited throughout the year. And I think that CEH will be more involved in positive game scripts than in game scripts where Tyreek Hill's just getting peppered with 15 plus targets. So we'll, we'll see how it develops as the year goes on. I personally would not react to CEH, but I mean, we're just on polar opposite. Uh, sides of the I mean you just think
1: he's amazing and I just think he's average that's where we kind of differ no I I don't I, I don't think he's a horrible running back but he's not a great running back by any stretch of the means he's not even like top four in his own class from last year
0: I mean I'm definitely not the guy to tout talent or talk about how amazing somebody is. I just think that if you're going to get 93% of the backfield touches in the Chiefs offense, you're highly relevant in fantasy football. The situation is immaculate. I mean, he hasn't been relevant in like a year. He's only played one year. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Um Some running backs that were involved heavily in the passing game were the guys in the Colts, who actually both uh, were the two leading targets in that offense for Indianapolis. Naheem Hines had eight, Jonathan Taylor had seven, the rest of the target distribution was pretty messy pascal had five Pittman had four campbell had three it looks like carson wentz is going to be following the philip rivers blueprint here in indianapolis and just be dumping it off to the running backs constantly
1: yeah i mean definitely surprising to see these two guys lead the team in targets but when you have, you know, Zach Pascal, who you know is like a third stringer, Paris Campbell, who has been hurt his first two years in the NFL and hasn't really done much, and we don't know if he's actually really good, and then Pittman, who we like but might not just be a true wide receiver one, as your wide receivers, I, I could see why you want to go and get the ball to, you know, you're more explosive playmakers in JT and and Naheem Hines but maybe that's just a function of Frank Reich's offense where you know they're going to focus on getting the ball out in space to their running backs so JT had seven targets Naheem Hines had eight and if that usage keeps up throughout the year I mean both are going to smash their ADPs
0: yeah it was really encouraging to see JT be that involved in the passing game after the Colts gave Hines that big contract making him the 11th highest paid running back in the league you do love to see that on the subject of running backs who led their team and targets Antonio Gibson appears to be everything that people wanted him to be and more 20 attempts on the ground 90 rushing yards and like I said led the team in targets with five he caught three of them but the usage is really encouraging for Antonio Gibson
1: yeah uh, Antonio Gibson had what 23 touches in the in this spot and JD McKissick had one attempt for one target so I think this was the start of the shift that a lot of people projected to happen towards antonio gibson and like you said the usage was encouraging for gibson and i expect this to continue as the season goes on and he's probably a year two breakout running back love antonio gibson this year
0: couple interesting stats from the chargers the first i think is with austin eckler who was not targeted once in this game i'm Pretty sure, Joey, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't this happen last year in week one where where Eckler had like one target or no targets and everybody freaked out and then he came out the next week and just balled out like usual? Personally, I have no fear of Austin Eckler. We know what kind of player he is in the passing game.
1: Yeah, I I think it's just a fluke that he saw no targets in this spot. I think that's kind of more of a function of Mike Williams getting 12 targets. And then Jared Cook had eight targets. And I think those both come down as the season goes on. I I could see those guys being around like six to eight. And then Austin Eckler will get his. So I'm not I'm not worried about Eckler at all. We like you said, we know what he could do in the passing game
0: yeah so you think you think Mike will is gonna regress because I mean he looked great he looked like he's ready to pay off that top 10 NFL draft capital finally eight for 82 and one on 12 targets only one target less than Keenan Allen I mean Mike Williams looked phenomenal in this game
1: I mean hopefully he doesn't regress because I have him but I think his targets will definitely come down especially with Eckler going to be more involved in the offense in the passing game so I expect the targets to come down and mike will's production will most certainly come down i mean he's just never getting 12 targets on a weekly basis so yeah i I guess i would expect him to to regress from this game
0: One of the more interesting games of the week was the Saints-Packers game. The big story is that Aaron Rodgers, you know, got blown out. They looked terrible, yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, the interesting point to me is just how great Jameis Winston looked. He looked like the best quarterback on the field. Went 14 attempts for 148 yards and five touchdowns which is absolutely insane to throw for under 150 yards and have five touchdowns also Jameis Winston no turnovers, so it looks like the LASIK worked for him and You know, while some people may be concerned about Alvin Kamara thinking that he's underutilized in the past game, only having four targets, like I said, Jameis only threw the ball 20 times, so those four targets account for a 20% target share. It was just a function of the game script. You know, the Saints had this game in hand the entire time. If Alvin Kamara is going to have a 20% target share, you know, going forward, which I think that he should, especially with Michael Thomas out of the lineup. Uh, this is really encouraging, especially with Jameis Winston playing at the level he was.
1: Kamara had 20 attempts on the ground, which is one of the highest totals of his career, and had you know, the three catches in the receiving game, so twenty three touches. And we're gonna see that usage throughout, you know, the next five or six games as long as Michael Thomas isn't there. So Camara, I mean, had a relatively down performance, I would say, just in terms of fantasy and in the receiving game, but that's just a function of the Saints literally stomping on the Packers, which was also surprising. Uh but yeah, I'm not I'm not concerned about Camaro. We we know he's gonna be a usage monster and he's a top three running back in the NFL so
0: absolutely I think there's any credence to the uh Aaron rodgers trying to bomb the Packers this season just tanking them revenge
1: I mean you don't you don't come back if you're willingly going to throw away games, I don't think.
0: I would put absolutely nothing past Aaron Rodgers when it comes to pettiness. <laughs> like, literally nothing is off the table.
1: But, uh, but I mean, wouldn't it be more petty to just not play at all?
0: Nah, play, playing and intentionally losing is definitely the pettiest. I mean, I, I think... It's probably not what's happening here, but I just I just think it's funny to see Packers fans uh, turn on their boy Aaron Rodgers so quickly and start circulating this theory.
1: <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he was horrible yesterday. Yeah, um, he was dog water. And I don't know if you saw like the the post game press conference, but Matt Lafleur said like the the team was just embarrassing, and Rodgers was like, I don't think I would call it embarrassing. <laughs> um, I think I just played bad, and it sounded like he was going at Matt Lafleur. So there, there's probably still tension there in Green Bay, and who knows with Rogers? I mean, we've we've said it before, but he doesn't even talk to his own family. So you you got to be a certain level of psychopath for that to be the case.
0: Mm. Um, yeah. That I mean, him and Matt Lafleur just need to square up. Like enough is enough.
1: Him, Matt Lafleur, and uh, the GM.
0: Yeah. G- yeah, they they yeah. they need to fucking just have a a royal
1: rumble, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, to
1: start throwing haymakers at each other. Fuck it,
0: yeah, I think that would definitely help uh, the chemistry of the team. <laughs> Before we get out of here, final thing I want to touch on, just sort of rewinding back to Thursday night. Feels like forever ago after yesterday, but the Cowboys offense and what we saw from them was highly encouraging. Dak Prescott threw 58 times for 403 yards, three touchdowns, looks completely ready to just generate fantasy production all season long. Amari Cooper had 16 targets cd lamb had 15 targets both went over 100 yards both scored touchdowns and with michael gallup set to miss three to five weeks with a calf strain i think that those target distributions are going to be apparent on a week-to-week basis prescott's going to be slinging the ball and god this offense is just going to be amazing from a fantasy perspective if that holds true
1: yeah dak is poised to smash his adp cooper and cd lamb i think are poised to have great seasons as you know the 1A and 1B in this Cowboys offense and really nobody behind them in terms of wide receivers now Cedric Wilson should play quite a bit with Gallup out and and he was the next man up after Gallup got hurt in that and he's very cheap next week so we'll have to we'll have to see um how that shakes out in terms of ownership, and you could probably scoop him in your fantasy leagues as well. But I mean, he's probably a like a low floor, low ceiling option at this point. I think we could see Tony Pollard and, and Zeke's usage in the past game increase a little bit. We didn't see it much in this past game, uh, especially with Zeke who kind of had you know the worst performance of like his career on Thursday night, but I, I think in this week two matchup against the Chargers, we could definitely see the running backs more involved in the passing game, and I think it's just wheels up for the Cowboys' offense in general, especially if they're going to throw 45, 50 times per game, which is likely because their defense is horrible. So they're going to be losing in a lot of these games, and it, it looks like they're they're trending towards you know we're we're just going to come out and throw the ball instead of running Zeke into the middle of the defensive line. 17 times a game I I think they they might have realized that that's just not the way to go in in 2021 but who knows
0: yeah I mean honestly I am a little bit concerned about Zeke's outlook for the season he was out targeted by Tony Pollard who had four targets Zeke only had two and because of how bad Dallas's defense is, like you mentioned, it seems like this could be a game script that we see a lot. You know, if they're just slinging the ball all the time and Zeke is sort of getting scripted out, you know, he's going to become a player who's like touchdown dependent, not guaranteed to have a safe workload on a week-to-week basis, especially if Pollard's more involved in the passing game, sort of really making him game script dependent. I don't know, at this point, I would, I would have some serious concerns about Ezekiel Elliott for the 2021 season.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe I'm not as concerned as you because, I mean, Pollard only had two more targets. Like, yeah, he had more, but it's only two. And they both play together a lot on the field. Mm-hmm. So Pollard wasn't coming in to put Zeke on the bench they both were playing at the same time so I think that's something to look at and monitor is if both of these guys are going to be on the field at the same time which I think will be the case moving forward especially with Michael Gallup hurt now who was you know the third most targeted player for the Cowboys in week one gonna miss three to five weeks like you said I think we could definitely see more two running back sets from the Cowboys put Cooper and Lamb on the outside and and throw Cedric Wilson in the slot and you know I I think that's a very good offensive set for the Cowboys so not too concerned about Zeke at this point but if this continues for the next two or three games I, I think that's when you know, you you put the red flags up and, and maybe try and, and sell Zeke in your fantasy leagues. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. We'll, uh, we'll definitely be discussing the Cowboys more at length. It's going to be one of the most popular games to target in week two. But I think that that is going to be it for episode 161 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS. We'll be back on Thursday with a first look at the Week 2 NFL DFS slate. For more NFL DFS content, check out our YouTube channel, At The DFS Dose. We post multiple videos per week and live stream on Saturdays. You can also connect with us in our free Discord channel. The link to join that is in the show notes to this podcast. If you're listening out there, just know that we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.